Welcome to Season 2 Women in STEM Podcast. I am your host, Kelly, and expect from this season amazing guest host speakers from around the world and information that will help enrich your life and knowledge about women in STEM. Welcome to the Women in STEM Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and today we'll be discussing why diversity and inclusion will help mitigate the engineering shortage. And today I have a special co-host guest with me. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hey, everybody. My name is Christine Spang, and I'm the founder and CTO of a software startup called Nihilus. I started the company in 2013, and uh, it's about grown to about 300 people today, so it's been a wild ride. And uh, we're psyched to have a conversation with Kelly here about uh, about uh, improving the engineering shortage with diversity and inclusion. Your career, like the title of your job, sounds so interesting. Would you be able to delve into your career path so far? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely been an interesting ride to get to where I am today. Um, you know, going really far back, I I basically got into sort of engineering in general um, because I I was really good at math and science in school and I kind of came from a family of engineers like my dad is an electrical engineer my grandfather was a chemical engineer and so kind of always had this sense growing up that I wanted to build things someday but mm-hmm. I didn't have like a, a good sense of like what that actually meant and looking back just you know the idea that I could say that I want to be an engineer when I grow up is it's a very broad thing. It's like, oh, you, do you want to build bridges or do you want to, you know, automate things to, you know, reduce information uh, uh, labor, things like that. So that's a huge, a huge broad range of things. And I only really narrowed down to realizing that I, I really was excited and passionate about software when um, basically in high school, I, I got into programming through online gaming. Um, and so I started essentially learning to code in high school, and then I helped contribute to this game that I was playing online, and that game only ran on Linux, so I kind of followed things down to learning about Linux, and I started contributing to this flavor of Linux called Debian, and then kind of the end game of all that was that I decided that I really wanted to go to MIT and study computer science, and um, that's what I ended up doing. And so uh, at MIT, basically, um, I was introduced to entrepreneurship through kind of this like very nerdy obsession with uh, programming and sort of open source Linux uh, environments. So uh, basically I met some folks through the computer club at MIT who uh, had started a company commercializing um, some technology that they had developed for their master's thesis. And so um, I actually ended up starting to work for them part-time when I was a senior at MIT and uh, ended up deciding not to go to grad school. That was kind of the default thing I was looking at uh, to go join that startup full-time. And so uh, I learned all about startups through that kind of first path in my career. And um, after the founder sold that company to Oracle and uh, I was kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do next, um, I decided to it was a good time in my life to do something that may or may not work out. And I ended up starting Nihilus at that point. And, um, you know, I'd be lying to, to say that I, you know, knew that it would turn out the way that it had. And, you know, eight years later, I would be, uh, you know, running a, a pretty significantly sized company at this point. But um, 
yeah, it's been a super amazing journey and I've learned a lot and, uh, you know, started out just building the product here at Nihilus. And then, um, you know, I've gone through a lot of different phases. One of the great things about startups is that, um, you know, your job changes all the time. It's not like you start a company and then you do the same thing for the next four years. Um, you know, I started out building a product, but, you know, at that time we also had to do, you know, literally everything. I had to like get on the phone with potential customers and, you know, pitch them the product and help them try to integrate and things like that. Um, so I've done everything from, there was a couple of points where I managed our entire engineering team and uh, I didn't have experience with that beforehand. So really had to learn things on the fly. Um, and at this point I've moved away from that, was able to hire in someone to focus on uh, managing the engineering team. And uh, today I do a bunch of different things, uh, everything from um, doing a lot of uh, speaking and sort of external facing events for the company, as well as uh, I, I do a lot of work with our customers um, and uh, still are, am involved with a lot of the kind of internal technical roadmap and sort of how the platform is evolving. So there's kind of a lot of different things that I do kind of juggling this like, you know, technical role as well as just, you know, when you're a founder of a company, like I feel like there's this portion of your brain that's like kind of always thinking about just like the entire company. Mm -hmm. So um, things like, you know, is the culture uh, evolving in ways that are positive and that, you know, is the company that I want to build as the company has grown. Um, we've about tripled the size of the company in the last year, year and change. Um, and, you know, when you grow that quickly, uh, you know, a lot of things change, some things you want to change and some things you want to preserve. And so um, there's a lot of thinking about like, what kind of leadership do we need to bring in? Um, you know, what are the big problems of the company? Like, you know, what do we need to accomplish in the next, you know, few quarters to, uh, you know, get to where we want to go and things like that. So it's a bit of like a, a lot of context switching between, you know, like tactical, like this thing is a problem that we need to solve this week. And this is, you know, what we're trying to work towards over the course of the next year or even multiple years. And um, it's pretty fun. I'm excited that things have, have turned out the way they have. And uh, honestly, I'm really honored to, to be, be lucky enough to be in this position. Yeah, wow. It sounds like your career has definitely rocketed off. And throughout your career, I mean, it sounds like you've had quite an a interesting journey. But have you felt like you've received any um, backlash or received any resistance because of um, diversity and inclusion? with regards to you, you know, wanting to start your own co-found? Uh, I feel like for me, it's been largely a positive thing. I mean, I, one challenge as, as a startup is that, you know, you want to stand out and be seen. And so uh, for me, you know, being a female in tech and especially kind of wearing that CTO hat at the company, it's, it's been a way to, to stand out and to, uh, you know, be seen as uh, unique and interesting. Um, so I feel like it's helped me spread kind of the word of the company and um, yeah, and, and uh, just, you know, be memorable because, um, you know, people remember things that are different more than they remember things that are the same. That's um, not to say that there haven't been any challenges. Um, I definitely find that um, just getting to a point where I feel like I belong uh, in terms of just being a part of the entrepreneurship community, it took, took quite a while. And 
Um, you know, I feel really lucky that, you know, I had a lot of great sort of male allies and mentors at the startup that I joined out of college. And no one ever told me that like, you, you can't do this because of who you are. Um, I feel like I've surrounded myself with folks that have been very supportive. So um, I know some people have run into like really sexist experiences in terms of like raising money or things like that. But uh, for me, it's, it's generally been quite positive. And um, I know there's a lot of work to do for the industry, but um, it's so rewarding that, you know, I want, I want to help other people get into this and succeed and, you know, bring, bring things to the world that the world needs. So um, that's kind of my point of view on that. Great. And for our listeners, um, some of them may have heard of diversity inclusion. For some of them, it might be their first time and not really understanding what it means. Would you be able to explain what you mean by diversity and inclusion? Yeah, for sure. Um, some folks today expand that to, to say diversity, inclusion, and equity. Um, but I mean, the big picture is, is being actively um, welcoming and seeking out uh, people that bring new perspectives, new backgrounds, um, you know, whether that's race or gender or you know, socioeconomic background growing up, things like that. Um, the general idea is that um, there's, you know, majority groups out there who hold a lot of the, the power and sort of decision-making um, abilities, as well as, you know, just uh, have more influence in the world. And in a company, that might be things like uh, leadership or uh, just, you know, the general makeup of a company. Um, and so focusing on diversity and inclusion means, um, you know, actively uh, trying to bring people from different backgrounds into your company, making sure that um, in order to succeed in an organization, you don't have to look or be a certain way. Uh, so I think there's a big part of it that's kind of this softer thing about um, just expecting there to be differences. And so losing assumptions about you know, where someone's coming from. Um, I think working on diversity, inclusion, and equity means, means that you will have to do more communication work because you know, if, if a company is made up of just a group of people that all went to the same college, they hung out all the time, that kind of thing, like you have this set of shared assumptions that you can just work off of and you don't have to necessarily have explicit conversations about you know, what are the expectations? What's okay? What's not okay? Um, what do you need to do to succeed? Um, people have this implicit understanding of what all those things are. But, you know, if you really care about diversity and inclusion, you need to be more explicit about uh, those kinds of things because you don't have that shared background. So um, for us, it's really meant, uh, you know, making sure to go out and, and look for people to join the company from, you know, groups that we don't have represented in the company. And then also holding ourselves accountable to, to advancement and, uh, you know, having different folks in leadership. And um, this was actually a topic that you came up with. And I found it very interesting that you refer to the shortage of engineers. So, why do you think there's a current shortage and what has been your experience with that so far? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, over the past number of decades, uh, 
you know, the pervasiveness of software in terms of all of the things that are enabled by it has, you know, really continued to grow at a, at a very fast pace. And, um, you know, what that has meant uh, is that, you know, many different companies more so ever today than in the past are, are trying to hire engineering teams so they can build out software so they can automate workflows within the company so that, um, you know, like a lot of different companies that didn't use that need to have, you know, an app for your phone, things like that now need to have that today. And so, you know, I think it's two things. One, the demand of, for software engineering talent has really increased. Um, and then, uh, especially in the last couple of years with the, you know, the, the coronavirus pandemic, that, that trend is only accelerated probably you know, 10 years worth of change happened in the last two years. And that put even a, a, a quite a bit more pressure on, on those talent markets. Um, I see it, you know, running the company in that, um, you know, salaries have increased in kind of the software engineering field in a way that's, you know, outpaced uh, just the broader kind of uh, employment market. And it's very competitive. Uh, there's a lot of um, leverage that employees have in terms of, um, you know, being able to, able to find a place that, you know, they really want to work and employers have to sell uh, those candidates to, to bring them into their companies. So uh, kind of just big summary of that is that, you know, software engineering is a very competitive market today. Um, you know, the, the big uh, sort of levers are in the employees' hands and, uh, you know, companies that want to retain and uh, employ the top talent out there need to put in a lot of work in order to, you know, get those folks to come to their companies. So uh, the flip side of that is that, you know, we need to get more people um, in the software engineering field. And um, you know, I really believe that, you know, one of the ways in which that we can do that is by um, diversifying the field. Um, it's still the case today that software engineering overall is, for example, only about 20% uh, women. Um, and, that, you know, that's varied a bit throughout the decades. But, um, you know, imagine if, if there were 50% women in software engineering. Um, that would, uh, you know, help a lot given that, you know, we're still in, a, in an environment where demand is outpacing supply for software engineering talent. Um, and you know, one way that, for example, uh, Nihilus has worked on this in the past is that um, you know, we uh, put together a program to bring in folks from uh, uh, boot camp programs into a into a support engineering position. And then we worked, th we trained them, and uh, helped them get full time engineering positions within the company. And you know, I think that there's going to be uh, you know more of a resurgence of programs like that to help bring in uh, that kind of talent and um, get them into a point where they are, you know, in full-time engineering jobs within the industry. I think that's a great answer. I think you've definitely highlighted some aspects that some people might have not thought about. And I wanted to find out from like your experience from being a co-founder and even prior to that, what has been some of the most common mistakes you've seen women in STEM making with regards to their career? Yeah, I'm not sure there's like any sort of one thing that I would say is just like a top mistake, but 
overall, I think, you know, one, one kind of like unfortunate uh, bias that I see women having to overcome is this perception that they're quote unquote, not technical enough because, and I think this is really unfortunate because women tend to be better at uh, a lot of the other skills that are really important in engineering, like, you know, really great communication, having uh, empathy, being able to, you know, work together with groups. Um, and so having an advantage of that can sort of uh, lead people to feel like they're pushed into uh, positions where they can really uh, lean on those skills a lot. And I think it's really important to make sure that uh, folks have a really solid foundation in building before, for example, going into like management or a tech lead position or uh, product management or any sort of uh, kind of fields that can really make use of that uh, engineering background. But if you, you make that switch too soon, um, it can kind of come back to bite you later down on the long lines because uh, without enough of a foundation uh, in that building, it can be hard to make a lot of impact later just because you don't have the versatility in terms of uh, understanding things like architecture and being able to use that uh, to have credibility in those other positions. So I would say that's really important to get to uh, like a senior engineering level before really kind of exploring switching into you know uh, a position that makes use of that technical background without um, being hands-on building all the time yeah i definitely like agree um i did a presentation recently with regards to women in stem and kind of talking about how there has been an increase in promoting women to go into stem However, retaining women in the technical fields can be often hard because other industries like business, um, you know, finance industries, they, they'd love to, you know, hire engineers and stuff and then yeah. kind of take them off course. Yeah, and, it, and it's great that, you know, engineering and software engineering can be this springboard into all sorts of different career paths because, you know, because software is becoming so important in the modern world, it, it's really useful to have that foundation and that, uh, you know, background in all of those different positions. And, you know, I think you also see, uh, you know, a lot more like even CEOs of companies uh, having come from engineering um, versus, you know, a long time ago, you know, is more of a business focus. Um, but yeah, the main takeaway is just like, don't do it too soon because uh, you'll be much more effective later on if you, uh, get to a level where you can, you know, architect systems and be really independent in the building role. Um, and then go take that and make it your superpower in terms of product management or being an engineering manager, director, things like that. Um, just, just don't, don't go adjacent too soon. Yeah, definitely. And with regards to diversity and inclusion, do you have any um, advice as to how other companies that might also want to be making wanting to make that leap can go about doing that in a way that will not only benefit them but also benefit the person as well mm -hmm. yeah I mean uh, I'm not gonna lie here it's hard so uh, don't expect it to be just sort of an easy thing of like 
you know, okay, we're going to do DNI now and it's going to be super fast and easy to transform the company to really embrace that. Um, I think it really starts with values first um, and making it clear that diversity and inclusion is something that is really important and invaluable at your organization. Um, you, know, you can even be uh, open about the fact that, you know, it's a learning journey and you, know, you want to iterate and you know, improve over time and nobody, nobody knows everything uh, to get started. And, you know, if, if this were a solved problem, we wouldn't be talking about it today. Like, you know, people would just be doing it and, uh, you know, not worrying about it. But I think it starts with, you know, recognizing that this is important value. Um, and then the second part is, is, you know, quite comprehensive in terms of it, you know, it needs to be something that's included in, all sorts of different parts of the organization and the processes and uh, evaluated and incentivized at your organization. So, um, you know, everything from looking at like how you're hiring, like, you know, are, are, are you looking at like a diverse candidate pipeline for the roles that you're trying to fill? Like that's step one. If you're not bringing in diverse candidates to a company, then, well, you're not going to retain them if you don't even hire them in the first place. Um, and then, you know, like a second piece is things like, like manager training. Um, a lot of organizations don't train managers at all in any way. They just kind of like throw you into the fire and are like, well, you know, you have people reporting to you now and good luck. Um, but, you know, in order to be uh, really effective as a manager, that's an entirely different skill set from, you know, what most people uh, are doing before they have a management job. And so, you know, imagine that, you know, you're doing really well at building software and then um, your job is to you know, enable a team to accomplish more than you could on your own. That's a whole bunch of people skills that you weren't necessarily using or developing in, in just like being really good at writing code. Um, so, you know, I think having manager training is something that's uh, really important, whether that's internal or external to your organization. There's lots of people out there that um, run training programs you can send people to. So even if you're not to a size where, um, you know, you can hire someone to internally run training programs, um, you know, in the beginning, we just sent people to external programs to help them get up to speed and build those people skills. Um, and then, you know, third piece is just communication. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, you have to get to a point where you're making fewer assumptions about people and uh, asking more questions and then being really explicit about, you know, what are expectations and also helping make people feel comfortable and uh, seen. Um, so, you know, it's even more important in the beginning when, you know, you may be hiring people who don't look like the people that are already at your, your company. You have to be explicitly welcoming. And I think it's really important to, um, to you know, try to bridge that gap and do some of that emotional labor of, you know, realizing that, you know, people may be going through things that you, you don't even know about. Um, and, you know, trying to say like, you know, you don't have to talk about these things at work, but, you know, if you need an ear or like you're struggling or whatever, like, you know, me as your manager is, is available and happy to, you know, do my best to be supportive, things like that. So, 
Um, yeah, there's a lot of different pieces of it. And uh, I, I think it's more of a journey than, you know, any one thing that you check the box. Like, even if you're a big company and go out and hire someone to be in charge of DEI at your company, if you don't have buy-in and the ability to, um, especially like support from, you know, the very top from the CEO and ability to uh, influence internal process, then um, we're probably not going to make progress about it over time. Yeah. And um, looking at it from the flip side, do you have any advice for any employees or any students who might be in an environment where they feel like they're not being represented and they might want to feel um, feel like they want to voice their opinion, but are a bit too shy to do that? Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few different parts of this. One is that I think in general, it's really important to come at these things from a perspective of, again, not assuming any sort of like what the intent is uh, on the other side of what's happening. So um, having curiosity and um, there's a lot of people that say like assume good intent or assume positive intent. And I, I don't think that's quite right. I think the most important thing is to not assume specific intent. Like a lot of things just happen because of like, uh, you know, a confluence of random things and people being busy, um, uh, organizational priorities, things like that. And the most constructive way to, to affect change is to just, you know, assume there wasn't any specific intent, ask questions and, um, uh, you know, share your needs. Um, I, I would start out by having conversations with your manager about like, how, how do you advance within this company? Like, what do I need to do to um, to make a bigger impact and making it clear that, you know, you do want to uh, advance in your career and uh, sharing like what that looks like to you. Like, is it important to you to get praised in public? Do you um, like, how do you align about like what timeline it might take to uh, get to the next level? What are the things that are rewarded and valued at your organization? So it starts with communication first and you taking control of your career and being clear about what you're looking for. And, um, you know, you may get different responses to that from your manager in the best position, like your manager will be uh, supportive and uh, will do their best to try to help you. Um, but you also get more information if that's not the case. Like maybe your manager is not paying that much attention um, or, you know, in the worst possible situation, you know, if they're downright not supportive, then you know that, well, you know, maybe it's time to look for like a lateral move within your organization or even, you know, look at potentially moving organizations. And if you don't initiate those conversations, you just don't have information about, um, you know, whether this is going to be a place that's worth your while to invest. Um, but, you know, assuming that, you know, you do get, a, you know, a positive response, you know, the only, the, there's no downside to that. It's a win-win situation. It might be un uncomfortable. Um, and, but like, you know, you're going to win either way in that you'll either know that what you need to do here to succeed or at, you know, that you should be looking somewhere else. Um, it's really helpful to be constructive in terms of suggestions. Um, and I don't mean to say that like, you should like take on a whole nother job, but advocating for specific things, like even things like, you know, having your organization 
sponsor start like an ERG for people from a specific background? Like for example, we have like a gender minorities ERG, a parents ERG, people of color ERG, things like that. Um, and, you know, that's one way to form community within, uh, you know, people of specific groups within a broader organization and, and provide support. Um, and yeah, just being constructive about, uh, you know, what sort of things you're looking for from leadership is super helpful because again, people are really busy. There's a lot of uh, pressures running a company and, um, it's a lot easier to help someone out if they're asking for something specific than if they're just sort of venting about a problem. Right. And I'm sure that there's going to be some other listeners listening who have been, who are very interested in your career path and might even want to follow in similar footsteps. So do you have any career advice that you've received that stood out for you? Any um, tips that really helped sh shape your career? Yeah, this is like maybe a little bit uh, non-standard perhaps, but when I was at the first startup that I was at, uh, the CEO there um, gave a lot of uh, advice about uh, uh, like being really smart about what you do with your money, actually. So I started investing when I was 22, you know, just in the public markets using index funds and um that's something that has been really helpful for me in that, um, you know, growth in terms of invested money, uh, especially if you start pretty early on, that pays back in a, a huge way later on. So it's a really good habit to get started in. And uh, I think just having like the security of, you know, building towards financial independence is really helpful for confidence. And that, you know, is like a naturally sort of, compounding thing in that, you know, confidence will help you get bigger, uh, bigger positions and uh, just, you know, build a, build a reputation amongst other people for being someone who gets stuff done. So uh, there's lots of things, you know, in terms of just like your life in general, that like being a, being a, a person who, you know, feels like they're, you know, independent and have resources can just be helpful to, to your psyche and that will accelerate your career as well. Uh, I love that advice. Um, yeah, it wasn't what I was expecting, but that's great advice. That's definitely, <laughs> definitely invest, ladies, if you're listening, definitely look into it. I, I think that is definitely something that's life-changing and can be able to give you that freedom that you can need and also give you the confidence when you feel like you might need to make certain decisions and with regards to also like your career was there any particular resources that have helped you any any particular resources that you would recommend to other people any books podcasts or websites that you came across yeah for sure um i think the one one that i'd like to mention here is um I, when i started uh Basically, when I started managing at Nihilus, I had no idea what I was doing. And, uh, you know, I was also, I think I was 24, 25 at the time. And so I didn't really have a lot of immediate peers who were in that position at that point because it was too early. Um, so I had like one friend who was, you know, a bit older than me who I knew had done management before. And I was like, 
know, Hey, help. What is there any like books I should read or like, what should I do? Um, and he recommended me this book called Becoming a Technical Leader by this guy, Jerry Weinberg, which I was really impactful for me uh, early on. And it's just about kind of the, the sort of mindset shift of going from, you know, a really effective individual contributor to being someone who uh, is a leader, whether that's even just um, being someone who's in it an advanced and senior individual contributor or someone who's sort of looking at management um, and kind of all of the sort of people skills that, uh, you know, and just shifting yourself internally to take that on. Um, so that was a, a big impact for me. And unfortunately he passed away a few years ago he used to run this training course as well. Um, but his business partner uh, still runs the training course. Her name is Esther Derby and um, I don't remember what it's called these days, but her, her sort of week-long workshop for leadership is super good. And it's one of those things that like, maybe there's not like a specific tactical thing that you like immediately go, go back home and, and do right away. But like the internal shifts that it sort of sets the snowball going, um, I found to be really impactful for me in terms of like building my confidence as a leader. And that's been super important for me because uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie here. I, you know, I didn't see myself as someone who like should be in this position. And it's been a long journey for me to be okay uh, with myself in this position and to feel like, you know, I'm someone who is a leader and, who should be a leader and who can be a good leader because I don't look like the people who are sort of historically, you know, held up as examples of leaders. Yeah, that's definitely um, some great resources. I even wrote it down as well. So I'll definitely be looking into that. And I know in particular, like with engineers, um, we tend to get told that um, a lot of engineers don't have very good soft skills like you know dealing in the workplace dealing with other people uh, do you have any tips with regards to that about improving your soft skills um it's all learnable and don't let anybody else tell you that it's not learnable it's just another skill that you got to build up and practice and work on uh, just like you know writing code or doing data analysis or any other thing that you work on um, you know, for example, I probably the first time I ever did public speaking was when I was, I don't know, in my early twenties and I was really bad at it and you're just going to be really bad at it for a while. It's okay. Um, but it is something that you can practice and learn and get better at and you get more comfortable at, um, there's, uh, you know, also like communication skills and even just like reading other people, it's, it's very learnable. And so the important thing is to, you know, decide to get better at it. And then there's, there's tons of resources out there from books to online courses. Um, you know, if you're in a position to get like a, a coach, um, that's also something that's really valuable for that kind of thing. And so, uh, there's plenty of ways to go about uh, improving on those skills, um, you know, if you set your mind to it and uh, decide that it's something that is really important for you to get better at. Yes, I agree as well. Um, I've been trying to improve my uh, soft skills. So I've been joining like Toastmasters, doing more public speaking, 
you know putting myself out there sometimes you know in things where I'm, I might feel like oh no I shouldn't be doing this but I feel like you just you get better as you go along and I definitely encourage people to also look into improving their soft skills as well as their technical they tend to come hand in hand especially when working in the workplace um, before we end this interview do you have any particular topics or um, advice that you wanted to give the listeners that we haven't already covered Hmm. That's a good question. I, I would just say, you know, believe in yourself and, uh, you know, things that are outside your comfort zone right now, like, you know, if you spend enough time uh, in that place, your comfort zone expands over time. So uh, it's not going to be the case that if you find something terrifying right now, as long as you're kind of incrementally exposing yourself to it and being okay with uh, you know, not being the best at it right now, uh, you know, it'll, it'll improve and get better over time, especially, you know, if you can find, uh, other folks to support you and peers to, to talk about it and, um, you know, be on the journey together. So keep at it and, uh, you'll see results. Great. And how best can people connect with you? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm just at Spang, S-P-A-N-G. Uh, I also run a monthly uh, webinar video podcast thing uh, for my company called Hang with Spang. Uh, if you want to get more content like this, um, I'm not sure what the best place to find it is. Probably on the Nihilus Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash Nihilus, N-Y-L-A-S. Um, or we also have a blog at nihilus.com slash blog. Um, and you should be able to find links to uh, the various events that we're holding. and. Um, yeah, feel free to, you know, send me a Twitter. I'd love to connect. Thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast and for, um, you know, giving all this advice that you've given and all the tips. I found it very insightful and I'm sure the listeners will also find it very insightful. Well, thanks for having me. It's been great to be here. Thank you to the amazing guest host speaker and thank you for listening to this episode. Please make sure to follow the podcast and to follow me on social media at Kelly underscore engineer on Twitter or Instagram, as well as please make sure to check out our new YouTube channel called Women in STEM podcast to see our latest episodes visually. Until next time. Bye.